quick turnaround going right into the Rutgers podcast from the Penn State podcast. There's not a lot to talk about. Um, this would have been a lot more exciting if Rutgers did beat Indiana. I was kind of expecting them to pull the upset. Uh, but spoiler alert, the ESPN matchup Richter has Ohio State with a 98.6% chance of winning this game. Yeah, that uh, – you know, maybe, Mike, you and I got a little ahead of ourselves. Uh, we were – I think a week ago we were ready to anoint Rutgers uh, the new – who, uh, you know, prince of the Big Ten East. And early on in this football game against Indiana, I thought, hey, this may actually happen. I think they had a 7 to nothing uh, lead after the first quarter, but uh, fell away. Ultimately, this team lost um, to, a, to a pretty good Indiana team at home, 37-21. to um, But, you know, I think we have to start right off the bat, Mike, and just say this is a, a vastly, vastly improved Rutgers team. I can't hand it to Greg Schiano enough. The the changes that we have seen uh, from this team as a whole, I think they had 30 transfers come in this year. Brendan White, former Buckeyes, playing there at safety for them. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't think that Rutgers is going to win the game, but I think that they're going to be competitive. Yeah, Nate, did you see that overturned touchdown that they had against Indiana with all those laterals? Hard to miss that one. Unbelievable. Yeah, and I don't know if, like, one play is necessarily a metaphor for an entire team, but if that was applicable, this team has a lot of heart. Uh, and I think they did – they kind of, like – you know, they, they were in it uh, the, the entire game against Indiana. It's a 16-point – ending uh but even when they were down 23 to 7 they were playing with a lot of heart they did the turnovers ultimately killed them and they had seven turnovers forced against michigan state which is ultimately why they beat the spartans and against indiana uh, michael Penix didn't turn the ball over at all but they were they were pretty impressive otherwise they had again decent heart and we don't really know a lot of question marks for this team Noah vedra he's a fourth-year senior, but he's essentially never started for any other team, even though he's been at UCF and Nebraska. Isaiah, was he at UCF, too? I didn't realize that. I think so, yeah. I don't even know wow. if he ever played at UCF. I think he started at UCF uh, his entire okay. career. So he's been, like, I guess, like the Ryan Fitzpatrick of college football, just kind of going all over the place. Journeyman. Just journeyman, yeah. Yeah, he started at UCF. He had 29 passes as a freshman. How about that? That's interesting. And then he okay. went to Nebraska and now Rutgers, so he's kind of all over the place. Um, actually from Nebraska. So interesting, interesting team. Again, I don't think they're going to – no one, no one's picking Rutgers to win outright. So I guess we could just talk about this with some big talking points. At what point do you pull Justin Fields from this game to protect the golden arm? Middle of the second quarter? Such a good question. Um, I think – I think if the, the lead gets to four touchdowns, you have to pull Justin Fields. Um, de- definitely in the second half, maybe five touchdowns in the first half. But you know, if if this game's forty-two to nothing in the second quarter, we we saw it this week with with Trevor Lawrence and DJ Ungolalele, however you say his last name. <laughs> DJ, uh, we'll go with that. DJU, I want to see CJ Stroud, Jack Miller get some reps. And so these are the games where that depth of the quarterback position that's so important can be developed. So I, yeah, I think that that's going to be my rule of thumb, Mike. Five touchdowns in the first half, four touchdowns in the second half. Justin Fields 
has to be done. Mike, I'll ask you, who else would you lump into that category? Who do you have on a, a snap count, for lack of better words, depending on the, the, the you know, situation of the football game? Yeah, I would probably go with Master Teague, too. Uh, Master Teague, guy coming off of an injury, had 12 carries in the first game, 23 carries in the second game. I don't – maybe he eclipsed 20 carries once all of last year, but I feel like you got to kind of work him uh, back slowly. And Trey Sermon, he's had 12 carries both games, so maybe you give Trey Sermon more of the lion's share this game. We saw Steel Chambers look pretty good. I don't know. I, I personally think that I wouldn't give anyone running back more than 12 carries this game. I think you give Master Teague his 12 carries to keep the momentum going. You give Trey Sermon 12 carries, maybe even 15 carries to get his feet under him, try to get him a 100-yard performance just in terms of confidence, and then work in Steel Chambers and Xavier Johnson too to kind of finish it off in the third and fourth quarter. Because uh, ultimately, you know, just like the COVID, positive, COVID test being important for the quarterback room, you know, you might have a situation where Master T gets COVID and then all of a sudden, you know, Steel Chambers is going down as a close contact and now Xavier Johnson needs to step up. So you really got to work your backups as much as possible. I will put my running backs on a pitch count here for sure. Here's a hot take for you, Mike. I would I would add the wide receivers to this this list. And this is twofold. One, I want to keep Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave healthy. But two I would even consider rotating possessions with these guys and with a Jackson Smith and Jigba, a G Scott, a Julian Fleming. Um, that way they can get a little bit of run with Justin Fields, which I think is important. And then, you know, these, these guys, Cameron Babb, Mookie Cooper, have them play, you know, the whole second, excuse me, second half, fourth quarter, whatever it is, with C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller. I, I hope that we can get – you know, maybe all three backup quarterbacks and get a lot of these young receivers in there. Um, and then also offensive line. I think it's important to get Dewan Jones, Paris Johnson, some valuable snaps, some valuable snaps for Matthew Jones, Enoch Famihi up there at the, the, the guard spots as well. So I, I would look, you know, like you said, let's get a lot of, you know, a lot of these young guys, a lot of burn. Yeah, this is going to look like the fourth NFL preseason game. I, I honestly wouldn't be opposed if Justin Fields plays like the first quarter and a half, and then you give, you know, Jack Miller up until halftime, maybe first series coming out of half, and then you give it to C.J. Stroud, you know, and then you, you know, you just give Gunnar Hoke uh, the nod to him as the redshirt senior to kind of finish off the last the last quarter, but what I don't want to see is a situation where just kind of like against Nebraska when Jack Miller was in there, it was just run, 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 run. Let these guys pass. You know, it's not yeah. – Clemson lit up Georgia Tech for 70 points, right? And I think Justin Fields was in that game for, you know, three and a half quarters. Yeah, it was three, three and a half quarters he was in that game. So, I don't know. I think it's, it's important to get these guys throwing reps against a, a legitimate Division One defense. Rutgers did, again, for seven interceptions. Granted, it was against Rocky Lombardi, and I think all four of our quarterbacks are better than Rocky Lombardi. But uh, Holy cow, he is terrible. I think it would be really cool to have Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave get 100 receiving yards each just to extend that streak. I think that would be awesome if they both – how cool would it be if they – like Ohio State traditionally never has – 
uh, two receivers on a team eclipse a thousand yard seasons. How awesome would it be if Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave both did it on a shortened season? That would wow. That would be that'd be pretty incredible. I don't you know the only others that come to mind that maybe did that Ted Ginn and Anthony Gonzalez when they were playing together, uh, both first round picks for the Buckeyes, but. That would be uh, incredible. Mike, just on the on the Rocky Lombardi thing, you know, you and I, we both love to um, make jokes about like a, a typical stat line. Uh, and Rocky Lombardi, I feel like at any point in the third quarter, you can look at that game and he is 6 of 19, 64 yards, uh, no touchdowns and two picks. Does that sound about accurate? Yeah, I feel like he throws the ball down downfield a lot. He's kind of a little bit of a gunslinger, so I wouldn't yeah. even say like 164 yards. He's kind of like a, a homeless man's Brett Favre in a way. Um, which, <laughs> hey, it worked against Michigan, right? He got he got the W. So you never know. Any given Sunday, Rocky Lombardi can lose to Rutgers or beat Michigan. Uh, I know against Ohio State in that game where we beat them, I think it was like 26 or something like that. I, I know we finished the game like 8 of 26 and had like three picks. So that was a pretty terrible performance. They On the defensive side, Noah Vedral not exactly, uh, you know, not exactly making us quake in our boots. Same thing with uh, Isaiah Pacheco. So I don't know. Um, they do have a decent receiver. This Bo Melton guy is not terrible. Uh, he had two touchdowns, would have had a third one against Indiana if it didn't get overturned. So it, it's kind of a nice way for Sean Wade to regain his confidence after getting torched by Jahan Dotson. Uh, that'll be kind of nice to see. But otherwise, I would kind of get, like, significant rotating for, for the defense on all levels, uh, linebackers, defensive line, and secondary as well. Yeah, you know, maybe you serve that as some form of punishment. It's like, hey, you didn't play very well, and so now you got to play the full week against Rutgers. Ooh. You got to play the full Maryland game, you know, something like that. I mean, Rutgers—they weren't the biggest uh, walkover last year. We be, it was, they did score True. twenty-one points against us. It was fifty-six twenty-one. Uh, at that point, that was the most points that anyone had scored on us the entire year. Uh, but granted, Justin Fields did—I think he he might have only played a half against Rutgers last year. And, and this is also home. Not that that really matters with the fans, but I, you know, we're not, we're not, we don't have to worry about traveling to Piscataway or our guys don't have to deal with any kind of travel. To that uh, hostile environment. They did have a lot of fans against Indiana. It looked a little weird. I think it was more than friends and family. Um, but anyway, they did. Uh, yeah, the home side, I thought, hmm, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what, is this an SEC game or where there's no social distancing? And right, right, George, right. George was saying we got, uh, you know, 20% capacity, and meanwhile it's like, uh, you know, everyone's like clustered in. Actually, I think Florida State has been the biggest culprit of that. Ade, is there anything else you want to touch on? I mean, we're going to – we'll predict Rutgers at, at the very end, but I think the more interesting college football – points this week is going to be in the other games this week, especially Clemson and Notre Dame, how that stacks up for the rest of the year. What does it mean for Ohio State, et cetera, et cetera. Any other points for Rutgers uh, you want to talk about here? We'll, and again, we'll predict the game at the very end. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think I have much. Uh, look out for Brendan White. You know, he was the guy who was supposed to be the first bullet uh, position player for Ohio State a year ago, hardly played. Ended up transferring to Rutgers. He's number seven for them. He's got a pick this year. So 
Um, you know, wishing him nothing but the best, uh, but hopefully his return to the shoe is not a friendly one. Rutgers admirable rush defense. I will say that just 77 yards, uh, allowed on the ground okay. per that game. Might so be, that so might be, you know, and Indiana can run the ball pretty well too. Yeah. So I was surprised to see that. I guess it mostly because Michigan state just really couldn't run the ball at all. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll predict that later. Nate, some interesting games on the slate outside of the big 10 this week. Uh, Let's. I guess we got. We'll start with the big one and then work our way from there. Um, obviously, Clemson, Notre Dame, going to South Bend. DJU looked pretty solid last week for the Tigers. Yeah. Am, am I optim? Am I too optimistic, hoping that Ian Book can take down uh, the Tigers in this one? I actually, even with Trevor Lawrence, I I felt in my mind that Notre Dame has what it takes to beat Clemson. And, and I'm going to say, tell you why. It, it's all because this Notre Dame team is predicated and they're winning football games almost, almost Wisconsin-esque, but I would say more so just dominating uh, offensive line play and running the football for two, 250, 300 yards, lots of, of – short intermediate passes to the tight ends and the running backs. They have three running backs who are electric for Notre Dame. Um, and they have a really, really talented defense that gets a lot of pressure on the football. They got Kyle Hamilton, uh, maybe the best safety in all of college football, uh, holding up that back end for them. And so to me, the key to beating Clemson is keeping the offense off the field. Even when, when, Trevor Lawrence is there. And so I think they have what they need to, to pull that off. Whether they do it or not, I don't know. Uh, but I actually – I really like Notre Dame's chances. I'm, I'd probably pick them in this game, and I would have picked it to be like a two- or three-point game, even with Trevor Lawrence. Is game day going to South Bend for this one? I, I would assume so. I have not heard. Um, I've noticed with, with the, the Big Ten coming back, they tried to make some Big Ten appearances. So I don't know if they're going to try and make some appearances out in the Pac-12 just because they really are in such a rivalry with Big Noon kickoff. Um, so we'll see. But it would certainly make sense for them to be in South Bend. Uh, well, the fact that it's an NBC game, does that kind of preclude uh, – like does game day only go to games where it's an ABC game? Not always, not always. But I feel like they would be more inclined to do that because Herb Street would be calling it, right? They, right. I'm just um, looking now, Mike. They are headed to Notre Dame. Okay, interesting. And I think, wow, that really sucks for Herb Street because his uh, his primetime game is going to be Stanford at Oregon, so he's going to have to get to get to South Bend. Probably, I'm sure it's going to be freezing cold, probably 30 degrees, maybe even snow in Indiana, <laughs> and then you're going to have to fly across the country to Eugene and make that kick off. Uh, so that sucks to watch a, a much, much inferior game than Notre Dame Clemson. Yeah. Look, Notre Dame could pull this upset because they have the ball control offense, and I think that's what you kind of need. Uh, you, you don't want to get into a – they say, like, you don't want to bring a, a knife to a gunfight. Well, I feel like Notre Dame, just on a matchup perspective, has the ball control. Like Ian Book, and we talked about this in the last podcast, kind of diet JT Barrett. I feel like, look, Notre Dame, they run the ball 231 rush yards per game. 
they could control the clock, as you were saying, and, and who knows, maybe DJU makes a few freshman mistakes. It's not – the spread on this one is minus six, which means that just based on a – if you follow the line, Clemson has a 65% chance of, of winning. My problem is even if Notre Dame does win, I feel like it doesn't matter for the, the college football playoff. Like, number one, Clemson, if they win the rest of their games, they would end up playing Notre Dame again anyway in the ACC championship. They'd probably be more motivated at that point because Dabo Sweeney is an idiot and I hate him. And then also, even if they do, like, you know, they would win that game and then be in the college football playoff anyway. So it's, it's frustrating that they could lose and it wouldn't impact them because of the Trevor Lawrence absence. It is frustrating. It's It feels really deflating to me, honestly, um, because it, it feels like it's completely not in Notre Dame's favor because, you know, if if both teams win out, say Notre Dame beats Clemson, they both win out, they're going to meet again in the ACC title. And I just don't like anyone really to beat Clemson twice in a year, let alone Notre Dame. Um, and so, you know, but maybe that's okay, Mike. We want, you know, that was the, the prize all off season was we're going to get to face that team again. We're going to hopefully get to face Clemson again. So maybe, you know, the Buckeyes are hoping that, that Clemson just keeps rolling so that they'll get their fair shake, uh, with the Tigers. Well, here's an interesting scenario. So let's say Notre Dame does beat Clemson. And then Clemson ends up beating Notre Dame at the end of the year. And then Alabama and Georgia kind of do a similar thing. Alabama beats Georgia in the regular season, and then Georgia beats Alabama. Then who gets in at that point? You know, that's kind of weird. Like, you, you have to put in the Clemson for winning the ACC. You have to put in Georgia for winning the SEC. And then who gets in? Alabama, a team with the quality win of beating Georgia. Notre Dame, the quality win of beating Clemson, or do you throw in a wild card, you know, Cincinnati or BYU at that point in that fourth spot? So I, I don't even know what, what we're really supposed to root for at this point. I guess we just got to root for Clemson to lose, root for Alabama to lose, and hope we can kind of move up the seeding and get to that number one seed. But it's it sucks because just the way – I love the college football playoff. I think it's great. But just because it is entirely based on – like what a committee's opinion is and not the structured criteria because Clemson and Alabama are so good right now and Ohio state too. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt uh, later on, even when they lose a game. Yeah. Yeah. And a couple of statistics for this game this weekend, um, Notre Dame 10th in the nation and running the football 231 yards a game. Pretty impressive. Uh, they got Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree, a young freshman, lots of talent. And then defensively, uh, Notre Dame pretty unanim unanimously uh, top five to seven in all defensive categories. They're giving up 267 yards total per, per week. Pretty impressive. 173 through the air, 93 through the ground. Uh, and, and giving up an impressive 10 points per contest. So uh, a talented Notre Dame team, I look for Clemson to come out and really try and uh, assert Travis Etienne. And if, if the Irish are up to the, the challenge and can really stuff him, I think this makes it a very, very, very interesting football game. Mike, there's another good game this weekend. 
the the world's largest cocktail party they call it i don't think the party will be going on but we've got georgia and florida essentially for the right to play alabama in the sec championship and you know alabama with it out jalen waddle this could actually be that sec championship could be interesting who do you think wins this one uh Florida or Georgia? Oh, this one's tough. Um, Georgia is favored. I actually think Florida is going to win. Are they, like, still missing a lot of guys from testing COVID, or are they – I think they're pretty much past it now. Yeah, I'm just not a believer in Stetson Bennett. He is really, really freaking bad. Uh, They only scored 14 points against Kentucky. And I know, look, as good as that defense can be, I think in – 2020 college football a great offense beats a great defense and it's not like Florida's defense is terrible you know that's the thing so you have a Georgia offense which is pitiful all they can do is run the football they can't throw as far as I'm concerned and I think Florida can develop at least enough enough of a pass rush maybe four sets and bend to throw a few turnovers and Kyle Trask is having a low-key insane year 18 touchdowns two interceptions Kyle Pitts is an awesome target for him to throw to. Uh, I, I'm not a believer in Dan Mullen necessarily. Yes, the other question is, who do you want to win this game, right? Because who do we want to potentially beat Bama in the SEC championship? Who stands a better chance, Georgia or Florida? It's got to be Florida, right? Just, just because they have the dogs to keep up. Right, uh, or maybe you know, maybe Georgia could make enough adjustments to to re- really compete with Alabama. But I just feel like Florida can probably close to score pound for pound with with an Alabama. Can we can we uh, give Justin Fields back to Georgia for one game and he can play? <laughs> <in that? laughs> for then, one, I, then I would say Georgia. No, thank you. No, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> now we don't want to risk the injury here. Um, yeah, it sucks. It's like it's really unfortunate. Um, I really hope if, if Georgia does win out and hypothetically they lose to Alabama in SEC championship, imagine like a two-loss Georgia getting into the playoff as opposed to like undefeated Oregon, undefeated Pitt, or undefeated Pitt. I mean, undefeated BYU. That would be terrible, and I can totally see it happening. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally plausible. Um, Mike, the other big note that I'll make for this week, college football, the Mac is back, baby. Oh, yeah. And then he's starting is on. Uh, no ranked teams, but they're starting Wednesday night, full slate. They got Ohio, you know, here, Athens, Ohio at Central Michigan on ESPN, Buffalo at Northern Illinois on ESPN 2. Western Michigan and Akron on ESPN3, Bowling Green at Toledo, ESPNU, Ball State, Miami on CBS Sports Network. So this basically this entire conference is on TV this week um, on Wednesday night, a lot of 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock starts. So, um, you know, I don't care much about this game at all, but or, or these games at all, but should be fun. Probably, honestly, some of those games should be fun than – a Nebraska at Northwestern, a Michigan State at Iowa, Minnesota at Illinois, those types of ball games in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I think that's like super cool and they I like how they're playing basically strictly during the week. They're really like leaning into the whole matching thing. I'm assuming they're they have no fans though, correct? No fans. What if yeah. they just had like packed 
the Mac said, nah, we don't care. Fill the stadiums. And people were so <laughs> desperate to come to football games that they did it. It's so like, yeah, you know, COVID's already a huge problem. So, <laughs> you know, right, a, few, right. a few more thousand cases isn't going to do much more harm. That would be something else uh, just, just for the at- strength of the atmosphere. Um, man, this is, uh, it's fun. I love having, like, these meaningless college football games on during the week. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I bet BYU just because they're playing on Friday night or I'm, like, uh, rooting for, you know, some Sunbelt game on Thursday. Uh, so, you know, it's, you know, the more the merrier. And this officially means that all of college football is back with the exception of, like, the Ivy League. But all of the FBS teams will be playing football this year, which is huge. Let's go. Let's go. Mike, before we get to some predictions, how about we answer a couple of questions here from our listeners? That sound okay? Let's do it. All right. First question from DJ. He says, looking at what happened with Boston College, BC this week, how confident do you do you guys feel in a C.J. Stroud or a Jack Miller in a game of Boston College caliber? Um, I'm assuming they're they're asking, you know, if Justin Fields were to get hurt or uh, to test positive for COVID, how confident do we feel uh, in those backups? Um, I feel confident in Gunnar Hoke to win us a game against Boston College. I wouldn't feel confident against Gunner, for Gunnar Hoke going against the Michigan um, or even Penn State for that matter. But I think who's the Big Ten equivalent to Boston College? Maybe like Northwestern, right? Yeah, something like that. Uh, I, look, they were still heavy favorites. They were still 28-point favorites in this game. And DJU played really well. He had 342 pass yards. The problem for Clemson in that game was more so, you know, they couldn't really stop Boston College through the, through the air. They had a few fumbles, too, which were a little problem. But Travis Etienne ultimately took control. I just feel like our receivers are so good. We would just see a lot more short passing by Gunnar Hope. We would run the football a lot more. And it would kind of be like, you know, shades of Jim Trestle, uh, 2006, where, you know, our quarterback's going 10 for 15 for, you know, 125 yards, and that's pretty much the game plan. Yeah, my, my thought, too, is that we have a more talented group of receivers than Clemson. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, so, and I think that carries weight. You know, a, a young C.J. Stroud throwing to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, I, I feel all right about so I, I think that that's something to watch as well. Granted, uh, C.J. Stroud wouldn't have a Travis Etienne to rely on. Um, but I, I think that we'd be okay. I think you get to some of the tougher football games uh, against a Michigan or a Wisconsin, I would be a little nervous, uh, to say the least. Um, second question here, Mike, comes from Aaron. And he wants to know, what is going on with Sean Wade? Is he disengaged? Does he struggle on the outside as opposed to the slot? What was the issue uh, for Sean Wade? Also points out that a year ago, Sean Wade shut down K.J. Hamler. Uh, What's the deal with Sean Wade? Yeah, I think playing, you know, going from being a slot corner to being an outside cornerback, it's two completely different positions. You might as well be going from cornerback to safety, which makes me wonder, like, I wonder why they didn't just leave Sean Wade in the slot, right? And he could yeah. still, you know, especially if we're doing all of these, like, zone schemes and stuff, who cares, you know, let seven banks get tested on the outside. I don't necessarily hate the thought of that. So, uh, yeah, it's just playing a completely different position. Um, I, maybe the whole RPO stuff from Penn State kind of threw him off. 
He, we know he's a very talented cornerback. He's going to be, uh, you know, I think he'll continue to grow as the season goes on. And remember, like we were saying, Jeff Okuda was a liability two years ago on the 2018 team, and he had some time to adjust on the outside. He had a full year to grow. And then in 2019, all of a sudden, he plays to the caliber of a number three pick, right? So it just takes time to grow into that. Yeah, and I think that by the time the playoff rolls around, uh, we won't be saying that Sean Wade is a liability of our secondary. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think probably, you know, being completely truthful, there's probably an element of him. He all along has kind of been battling: should I go pro? Should I stay? Probably a degree of just being disengaged. And I think a week like the one he just had will quickly round you back into shape. Um, so I expect, like you said, Sean Wade to be um, a lot better. Um, last question we have here comes actually from Nate. Um, nice name, Nate. Uh, he wants to know, who do you guys blame for Michigan's struggles this week? Is it all on Harbaugh? Uh, was it Josh Gaddis, Don Brown? What do you think, Mike? Obviously, you know, a degree of it has to fall on Jim Harbaugh. But uh, on a broader scope, Who's to blame for, for Michigan's struggles? Uh, it's Jim Harbaugh because everything goes back to him. And he's supposed to be the quarterback whisperer. And, you know, Ohio State not necessarily known for its quarterbacks. When's the last time Michigan had a better quarterback than Ohio State? Really, I, can you think of it off the top of your head? Is it Tom Brady? And even Tom Brady in college wasn't considered – you know, an amazing yeah, for Drew Henson. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't considered an amazing prospect. So, you know, think about that one, but Jim Harbaugh trying to be a quarterback whisperer, Joe Milton looked pretty awful against Michigan state. Uh, and, and I think that Don Brown, probably one of the most overrated coaches in the country. Uh, we've seen him be absolutely torched by offenses that can figure out his man to man coverage scheme. He's not very multiple. And I think now in 2020 college football, when you have, you know, offensive schemes that are up-tempo that can isolate, you know, matchups and, and really target you. Like, I forgot that – I think he was number eight on on Michigan. Yeah. Brendan – what was it? It was like Brendan uh, – White. Kenny White, some White. Yeah, he was a complete liability against Ohio State, and we just picked on him over and over again. And I feel like offensive coordinators have caught up to Don Brown's uh, scheme and they're a good run defense but their secondary is a liability and look no further than giving up over 300 yards to Rocky Lombardi yeah I, I I'm actually gonna go straight kind of off of what you're saying Mike I'm gonna go right at Don Brown um, I think you know he kind of burst onto the scene there with Boston College probably 2014 uh, and and a lot of the defenses across the country were playing these zone schemes and they were doing them really well. Obviously, Ohio State was doing it. And and Michigan brought him in and he had this man-to-man coverage scheme pretty unapologetically. And, and for a couple of years, it really was dominant. He had great corners mm-hmm. um, who, did, who did a really good job with it. But as anything, you have to be – able to adapt and and coaches have gotten tape on this and they know how to beat these these man coverage schemes and Don Brown refuses to change you know yesterday it felt like Michigan State's strategy was just get in man coverage and throw a deep ball 
because there's going to be a pass interference call. That how many pass interference or or defensive holding calls were there for for uh, Michigan? And so I think that's a a really big storyline as well. I think if I'm Jim Harbaugh, you've got to get ready, get rid of um, Don Brown, but we'll see if that happens. It's crazy that Michigan's still ranked. Uh, I swear to God, Michigan and Auburn just holding on for dear life in the back end of the top 25. But if you look at some of the teams that are unranked, I would probably rank Purdue over them. I would rank Northwestern over them. Uh, trying to think who else. North Carolina, even though they have a couple losses, I'd probably rank over them. Army, they're 6-1. and one. Let's give them some love. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a tough sledding. And does this make the – I'm going to ask you a question. Does this make the Big Ten look bad, being how bad Michigan is and, and obviously Penn State starting 0-2? Because after Ohio State, you know, Wisconsin has their positive COVID tests to deal with. After Ohio State and Wisconsin, the next team is Indiana. And after that, there's a huge drop-off to Michigan. This is not the deepest this conference has looked in a long time. Yeah, I, I do think the Big Ten doesn't look great. But, Mike, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of speak that for all of college football. I mean, the SEC West isn't great. I know so, somehow, for some reason, Texas A&M is ranked in the top ten. Not a great team. Auburn walloped LSU. Um, and Auburn's not a great football team. They lost to South Carolina. Um, LSU, not not a good football team. Arkansas, Ole Miss, decent. I, the best division in college football might be the SEC East with with Georgia and Florida and Missouri's been better and Kentucky's a decent football team. So, I, yeah, the Big Ten's not great, but this is kind of what it is, right? You know, the ACC's not great. The Big 12 hasn't looked great. I, I think maybe this this whole COVID thing really is just catching up to people. Yeah, actually, this is – I don't know if this is a record, but there are seven – actually, if, okay, let's include Notre Dame as an independent because for all intents and purposes, they are an independent. Eight out of the top 25 teams are not in the Power Five conferences. So Notre Dame, Cincinnati, BYU. So three teams in the top ten aren't from the Power Five. Then Coastal Carolina, Marshall, SMU, Boise State, and Liberty. So 25 te- or out of the 25 teams – Eight of them aren't in the Power Five conferences. That's that. That's got to be a record. And you know, three of them with legit shots to make the playoff. It's it's kind of exciting. I like the Cinderella stories. Yeah, and it, it's you know, I've watched Marshall a couple times. Good football team. Coastal Carolina looks really good. Uh, BYU is a, a talented football team. I think they could go toe to toe with a lot. And hey, I just I want to shout out Luke Fickle and Cincinnati. I mean just took it to Memphis yesterday, 49 to 10. That is a good football team just down the road on I-71. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it has been a lot of fun. I would like to point out it's such garbage that Auburn's ranked at 4-2, and two, Michigan at 1-1, one and one, Texas at 4-2, and two, even Iowa State at 17 at 4-2. and two, They lost to Arkansas State. Um, just garbage. Yeah, if you go – this is actually interesting too. If you go strictly on resume, so strength of record only, the top four would be Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and then Clemson. (laughs) Number five, Indiana. How about that? Wow. Yeah, so – That is shocking. 
That's something in Northwestern's actually top 11 too. So a small sample size with only two Big Ten games, but we'll continue to read that. Uh, Nate, that's going to pretty much do it for us. Uh, we we talked about the Penn State in the previous podcast, then we moved right on to Rutgers and obviously talked about college football at large. But things are looking good. It's a good time to be a Buckeye fan for sure. And hopefully after a relatively tough uh, Penn State game they kind of you know we didn't exactly have to sweat it out but going into the game there was a lot of hype we can kind of kick our feet up and relax and watch uh you know our Buckeyes take care of business against the Scarlet Knights at home what's your prediction in that game to end the podcast yeah I'm gonna say that the Buckeyes roll uh, I'll say they're up 49 to 3 at the half and they close it out with a 63 to 13 victory I'm pretty close there. I'm going to say 56 to 10. I think Justin Fields will play a half at most. I think that how about the Steel Chambers goes over 100 rushing yards. I'm going to make that call, and I'm going to say that Jameson Williams gets over 100 receiving yards. Wow. And I'm also I'm also going to call a pick six by Baron Browning. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, so that's my bold prediction. Okay. I like that. I like that. I'm going to – Xavier Johnson, first career touchdown. That's that's my bold prediction. The walk-on running back, first career touchdown. 